We're looking at Acts today, chapter 7. We pick it up in verse 38 as we continue our study. I, uh, Randy told me a joke uh, I was going to save for Memorial Day, but I'll tell it, Randy. Uh, this boy came to church and he saw all the pictures of men in the lobby and said, uh, to the pastor, what, what are those pictures of those men? He said, those are the men who have died in service. He said, the morning or evening service. <laughs> and sometimes uh, when I'm preaching, I think maybe some of you have died. Uh, and maybe you think I have died. Uh, I heard about a preacher fell asleep during his own sermon. That's bad. Acts chapter 7. Tonight, we're going to... Um, uh, preach the signs of the times. Uh, I started that message weeks ago, and tonight we'll be more specific and share some of the things we see that are going on in our world that are a fulfillment of Scripture. And after the rapture, of course, all, all things will be fulfilled, but right now we see the beginnings of some things, and some things we see actually happening right now. I mean, the things that I've been reading in the news and what's going on in our world are quite startling. I'm so glad to be in Christ and safe in Christ and my security in Him. Dr. Luke is writing. We know he's writing this, what we call a bridge book, a book that connects the dispensations, the grace and the law. People are still going to the synagogue, but the church has started. Soon they'll be cast out of the synagogue. And Stephen is using so many different Old Testament examples and illustrations. And remember the New Testament preachers, Stephen, Peter, Paul, all they had was the Old Testament. They hadn't, didn't have the New Testament book, so they're, they're preaching from the Old Testament. And what a great job Stephen is doing here as he's preaching about Moses who had learned in Egypt and then lived in Midian, and now he's leading Israel. He's sharing some of the challenges of leadership. And Moses certainly had them. Even his own family turned on him. And the elders of Israel complained. And, and we know it was difficult to lead the children of Israel. Chapter um, 7, verse 38. Stand and we'll read these few verses. It's a custom you started long ago. And we still stand for this brief reading. Verses 38 through 41. We'll read these four verses. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, which the angel which spake to him in, the Mount, Sinai, in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Remember the word is alive. Your Bible's alive. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him forth from them in their hearts, turn back unto Egypt, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Bless us, Lord, as we study your word today to make an application to our life, to our situation, to learn the word, but also to be obedient unto the word and to make application. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in verse 39, it says the fathers, the family heads, the elders of Israel were given Moses a tough time. We're going to turn over to Numbers chapter 11, if you will. Numbers chapter 11. You've got to, you know, raise your eyebrows when you read about the children of Israel and their attitude and their actions. Quite startling. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, we read about the children of Israel and their heart. And 
the mixed multitude. You know, the Bible tells us today, be not unequally yoked. I, I tell people who are getting married, don't marry an unbeliever. Uh, and be careful in business and be careful in, in, in your walk not to get mixed up with the wrong crowd. And the children of Israel had a mixed multitude. They had faithful people to God and then they had carnal, unbelieving people and it caused a lot of problems. But remember, God had done so many great things for these people. We go back to the book of Exodus and God had given them water from a rock and blessed them with manna from heaven. And on our screen, I don't know if they can put that verse up there, but we know Psalm 78 called that manna heavenly food, angel's food. So it was certainly good food. And they had quail when they wanted meat. They complained. God gave them so much they got sick of it and got a, had a plague. But their, attitudes is, their attitude is quite startling. I mean, when you've experienced what they've experienced, the crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the waters, and water from the rock, and all the miracles, you would think they would be people so devoted for God. And yet Moses has gone for just 40 days on Mount Sinai to get the law. And in that brief 40 days, everything was terrible. Their attitudes, they made an idol. You know the story. But let's read here verses 4 through 6. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. There was nothing free about that fish. They were slaves. They complained in Egypt because they worked so hard, and then the Egyptians put more, more work on them and made it harder and harder. And so there was nothing free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, the onions, and that's garlics, and onions and the garlic, and, and now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna. And, of course, God was angry and dealt with these people severely. In fact, none of them entered the Holy Land because of their sin. God swallowed them up, and only the generation of Caleb and Joshua were to, end, to enter the land. And so here now Moses is, is uh, uh, Stephen sharing the, the life of Moses and pointing out how they had looked back to Egypt. So many people today look back to the old life and desire to go back there. Uh, you know, I, I constantly meet people who uh, come to know the Lord and, and they'll talk to me sometimes and you know they're not satisfied in Christ because they're always talking about the good old days, how it was when I sowed my wild oats and all those other things. You know they're not content in Christ because they're not in Christ, they're not in His Word, they're not in prayer, they don't understand what it's really like to walk with God. And they always want to go back to the old life. You know, the alcoholic desires to go back and drink the alcohol. He doesn't remember the wreck he caused, great harm to someone. He doesn't remember the problems he had in his life. The person who lived in immorality wants to go back. They don't have the peace of, they didn't have the peace of God. But listen, folks, we've got to quit looking back to the world. We need to look ahead for the Lord. I, um... Remember, I was building a bathroom in Panama. We um, added a bathroom because we had one little bathroom. We didn't have a tub. We had a big bucket, metal bucket. That's what we bathed our kids in. And so I hired two sandblast Indians. These are Panamanians. They live on a sandblast island. Some of them lived in the city. And I hired two of them to, to, to put a bathroom in. We built block walls. 
And then we put a shower in and a sink in, and I did a lot of that, but I didn't know much about plumbing. And so we decided to get one of these gas heaters, and today they're kind of, kind of normal in our society, but back then they were new, where you ran the water through the heater on the wall, and it heated it instantaneously, and it put it into the bathroom. And so these guys come in. They said they knew what they are doing, and in my broken Spanish, um, I tried to explain what I wanted. And they, they got all done, but I noticed that when I turned on the water, they had the hot pipe to the tub and the cold to the shower, and they didn't mix the water. And I thought, well, this is terrible. It's just not going to work. And so they took it apart and redid it and did it correctly, but they didn't know really how to solder copper properly. I didn't know that. I presume the copper in the wall was all properly soldered and everything, and they put the concrete on, and they sealed it and put the nice tile on, and I was so excited, and uh, I went in there, and I thought, I'll turn it on just to see how it works, and I turned the shower on, and tile started popping off the wall, <laughs> and I said, they didn't solder, That's, and water shooting all over. I thought, it's like something you'd go into Cedar Point or Six Flags and in the fun house and experience a shower like that, and so I ran down the street, and you know, I'm 6'5", and sandblast people are about four feet, four inches tall, or four and a half feet tall, and I'm running down the street, and I'm the only gringo in the entire area. It's St. Huda's subdivision, all Panamanians, Jamaicans, Panamanians, sandblast, and me. And I'm running down the street, amigo, 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 mucho problema, and I, I, I'm telling them to come back, and they come back, and they see it, and they don't know what to do. And I think, what is wrong with these guys? Well, I noticed that every day outside of my house, there were empty beer cans. They could not divide their, their consumption of alcohol from their duty, and they were drunk half the time they're working in my house. And I'd find the cans, and I'd put them in the garbage, and I, I thought, well, maybe they drank them on their lunch, or maybe they just emptied their trash in my yard. But they had a real problem with alcohol. And you know, I thought about those guys and how addicted they were to alcohol because you could see them walking down the road and they couldn't walk a straight line. And I thought about, you know, alcohol in our society. So many people just look forward to consuming alcohol. I mean, how many people get excited about New Year's and going out and getting drunk? They, they don't think about the consequences of that. We don't, we don't hear about the marriages that end because of alcohol. And, and so many times we look back to the old life and we remember, oh, it was so much fun to do this or to do that. And we forget the fact that when you don't have Christ in your life, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no assurance. And people who look back, it always tells me something's wrong in their life. You see, if you're really truly born again, old things are passed away. If you just long for the old life, something's wrong. I don't want to cause you to doubt your salvation, but if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Because if you still love the world to that degree, something's wrong in your life. You're growing, if you're growing in Christ and you're growing in Christ, you are becoming more like him and less like the world. Someone told me this morning, I don't remember who, they said this person I know is a Christian, but their lifestyle, there's nothing about them that's Christian. And I say, that's what bothers me. That word Christian means Christ-like. Not everybody who says I'm a Christian is Christ-like. There's a whole lot of people that don't know God. And, 
And here is a mixed multitude, and they're giving Moses all kinds of grief. And in verse 40, Stephen's actually quoting here in verse 40 from the Septuagint word for word in the Greek. And here it says, let us make us gods. Let us make us gods, because we don't know what's happened to this Moses. The word what there is translated perceive in chapter 28. We perceive something's happened to Moses. He's been gone for 40 days. Something's wrong, and we need a God to look at. After all they had seen and experienced, they need a false God. And so they make this calf of gold, and you know the story. And verse 41 says they rejoiced in their own works. Be careful. Um, the Bible says if you pray a prayer in public and someone pats you on the back and says, good job, you have your reward. So many times people say to me, and not necessarily here, but in my Christian experience, they'll brag on what they've done for the Lord. I've done this and I've done that. And I, I think, boy, have I done that as well, bragged on what I've done. And sometimes I want to say, you know, you have your, your reward. You've just lost the reward from God because you're looking for applause from men. What we do for God, we do because we love God, not for the applause of men, not for the approval of men. We serve God because we love God. And we can never repay him, but we serve him as because he owns us. He were bought with a price. But be careful when you want credit over the years, I've had people in church get mad and say, you know, I really did all this and all that and this for this Sunday school class and, and they don't appreciate it and I, I'm quitting. And I think, were you really doing it for Jesus? Amen. So you're just quitting on Jesus now? Because what you do, you are doing for the Lord. And if your motive is different than, than that, then your motive is wrong. You do it for Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to serve the Lord. And, and sometimes we stay up at night and we pray and we visit people, we call people, we worry about people. And there's a lot involved in being a faithful person in God's family because we have a whole family to consider. And as we've grown, we have to work harder to reach out and meet people's needs. But here they were rejoicing in their own works. They built this calf. Look what we did. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he saved me. From a grace we're saved by faith, not of works. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And so we know they were rejoicing. They're so proud, so proud of what they've done. But look what happens here in verse 42. It says here that God turned. Verse 42, then God turned. That's an interesting word. It's the word strepha. We get a word apostrophe. It makes a change in a sentence or catastrophe. It means a change. And God changed towards these people. He became angry with them because of their sin. And they're worshiping these planets and so forth. It says God turned. Uh, it says, then God turned and gave them up. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. Just a few pages to your right, Acts, and then Romans chapter 1. And I want to point out this expression again in the English Bible. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We're not going to read all that, but the Bible is very clear here. God made, it, made salvation simple and plain. He made it very obvious that God exists. The Bible says the invisible things of this world. Our conscience makes it clear God exists. I was reading this week about uh, the Indian mongoose. I thought that's an interesting little character. 
And a family raised a mongoose from they got it when it was a little baby, nursed it and raised this mongoose. And uh, they were interested to know if they really are snake fighters and they had a rubber snake. And they threw the rubber snake on the floor. It was a very lifelike looking snake. And instantaneously that mongoose was on top of that thing tearing it to pieces. And they had never taught this little critter that. Remember, they got this thing and they raised it themselves. And when you read about the mongoose, God has built an immunity in them that when the cobra strikes them, it doesn't kill them. And he makes them hate snakes and eat snakes. Now, that's not Mother Nature. That's Father God, you know. To think of that, that God creates this little creature to be able to do that is fascinating. I was reading as well this week some, some archaeology and things about archaeology and I was reading where there's 25,000 archaeological sites, cities and so forth, that prove the Bible to be right. Now, I believe by faith, so if there weren't one site, I'd still believe, but that's fascinating to me. And I was reading there's 50 Bible characters whose names are found in archaeology. And the name Jesus is found 13 times in ancient literature. Think about that. And Romans is talking about how the invisible things are clearly seen. God is so obvious in creation. We know that. We said that. I'm not going to harp on that. But you know it's obvious God exists. His design is all over the place. And so we see that. And in Romans 1, they would see the invisible things. They could see the Godhead in creation. They had a conscience and so forth. But what happened? They didn't glorify God. They didn't accept him. And you get down to verse 24 and it says, Wherefore God also gave them up. He gave them up. What does our text say? In verse 42, God gave them up to worship the host of heaven. In Acts, it's talking about them worshiping. They were worshiping Venus and Saturn, and they had their own temple to worship these, these gods. And, and God gave them up. He allowed them to do that to make fools of themselves. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And they were making fools of themselves. And look what it says here, in, back in our text. It says, they, they worship these created planets more than the creator. They, they worship the creatures of God more than the creator. In Romans, it says the same thing. They worship the creatures of God. You know, and and the, the holy cow in India. You know, all the things people worship. You know this. I don't want to keep being redundant. I say this every 10 weeks or so. I get into the apologetics and repeat things. But you understand how foolish it is to worship the things God's created and not worship the creator himself. Some people worship their own bodies. And so here they are. So God gave them up. The word worship here is an interesting word. The word latrio, our word idolatry comes from that. Latri, idolatry. They worshiped idols. Idols. Fascinating. Not only did they worship things God created, but then they made their own God, this false God. They made it and then worshiped what they created. I mean, unbelievable, the stupidity of man. I read the Psalm chapter 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why does God give us a, a second of time? He loves us to give us time, but we don't deserve it. And so the host of heaven, a reference to, to Saturn. And he says, as it is written in the prophets here in verse 42, 
He's talking about, in, uh, written in the book of the prophets, Amos. And we're not going to look at that passage, but he's talking about Amos. Then he talks about the tabernacle of Moloch in verse 43. And then the tabernacle of witness, which is the tabernacle of God in verse 44. The tabernacle of Moloch. You know what that was? Moloch was the god of the Canaanites, the, Phen the Phoenicians really, which were sea people who are Canaanites that came from the sea. And they worshipped Moloch. And they had a temple, and to really worship properly, it had to do with Venus and the sky god and all that. To worship in the tabernacle of Moloch, you had to be willing to offer your children as a sacrifice. So here are people that are worshiping in this tabernacle of Moloch and worshiping Saturn and Venus and offering their children to this god. You say, well, that's unbelievable that people are so dumb. But look at our world today. Look at our world today. You know, John, uh, the Bible says, the New Testament says, John the Baptist was the last of the prophets. Other than the eternal prophet Jesus, John the Baptist was the last one. Yet we have the prophet Moroni, or the, the prophet uh, Joseph Smith, and the prophet Muhammad today. And if we just simply read our Bible, we know that's all baloney or malarkey, as my dad used to say. And, and the world's full of this false teaching. And so here, they're worshiping gods that God made. Now they're going to worship gods they made. Look at Psalm 135. It'll be the last stop. Psalm 135. Lord willing, this will be the last place we stop. I want you to see this, Psalm chapter 135, and verses 15 to 18. And I love this because God just sort of belittles those who make their own gods and worship them. It says... The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. These are just idols, just dead things, and people worship them. People worship Buddha. Even Rachel hid under her dress, her garments, and little small amulets, little gods. And they had stones they carve. And if there's certain stones that you can get that carry current, a current through them and you can hold them and feel something. And, and Shirley MacLaine said, this is my God. And she had her little stone. Emptiness. Vanity. Yeah. Everything in this world is emptiness. Only God is real. Yeah. And I know he's real because he lives in my life. He's in my heart. And he never lets go. I love that. But he says here back in our text, it says <clears throat> in verse 43, he says, they, they worship the star of Rephaim, the figures which he made to worship them. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. What happened to the children of Israel? Because of what they did, they were taken away to Babylon. And the good people suffered as much as the bad. You know, the three amigos... Shadrach, Meshach, and my black preacher friend says, I'm the blessed Negro. They, they went and they were carried away. And Daniel's carried away. And the children of Israel are carried away. And they're out of their land for years. And they mourn and they mourn. And they wish they could go back to the house of God. Listen, when you go back to that old life, you'll end up just like that. You'll wish you could get back to the house of God. And you know the tragedy of it is, so many people say to me, well, I really would like to get right with God but I'm just not ready, or I need this circumstance to change, or I don't know that the church would receive me or that God would want me. The thing I love about God is he's always there. 
like he was with the prodigal son. He's got his arms out saying, come home, come home. It's just simply confessing your sin and saying, God, please restore me. And the thing I love about it is instantaneously, we're back in favor with God. God loves us. He's patient with us in long suffering. And here are these people taken away captive. And you know, in 586, Babylon took them. In 722, Assyria took them. We know they went through all kinds of stuff because of their sin. But it says here, our fathers, verse 44, had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. God gave instructions in Exodus 25. The Ark of Testimony. I don't know if we have that scripture up there, but I don't think we have a uh, I don't think Ken is here today, but we know that here, uh, it says, verse 45, which our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. That's Je uh, Jesus and, and uh, Joshua come from the same root word. Joshua, remember, carried, carried the tabernacle into the Holy Land and drove the enemy out. And, and that was, and the captain of the army was Jesus Christ. That's why that's uh, stated that way here. But we know the, that uh, God, God allowed them to get the land and to bring the tabernacle in. And that should have been victorious, victorious and continuous. But you know why Israel's not at peace in the land today? Because of their own sin. They can't blame the Palestinians. You know where I stand with Israel. I'm a big supporter of Israel. But they have to look at their own hearts and say, we didn't receive the Messiah. One day they will. But their sin of rejecting the Lord is why they're struggling today. Joshua didn't obey. He didn't wipe out the enemy. He left some alive. And because of their sin, they're still struggling today. Do you know why you're struggling today in your life? Oh, preacher, I know what you're going to say. You should know what I'm going to say. Because of your sin. Because of your sin. You're struggling because you don't fully give your life to God and say, God, take my life and lead me and guide me and I'll follow you anywhere and do anything. When I was 19, I remember getting right with God. I was getting in some trouble, and I got right with the Lord. And when I got right with the Lord, I remember saying, Lord, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do, and I'll go anywhere you want me to go. But I never forget when God started saying, all right, here's where I want you to go. I said, well, no, wait a minute, Lord. That's kind of extreme, isn't it? <laughs> are you sure? I mean, me? I mean, I don't think that I would be effective. Well, well, are you sure? Listen. When you give yourself to God, you should be willing and should follow him in obedience anywhere he asks you to go. And sometimes he doesn't ask much, but he wants you to be willing to say, here am I. I give you everything. You know, we can't offer a sacrifice today. I don't get a lamb and kill it every year and put the blood on the mercy seat and offer an offering, but I'm supposed to offer my body a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Which means it may not all be easy to serve God, but I have to make that choice. And if you haven't come to that place in your life, you're not where you ought to be. God, here am I. Send me. Use me. He may not call you to Panama, Central America. You may not live with Panamanians. He may call you to your next door neighbor to your coworker, to do something in this church.
to serve him in some capacity that you're not even aware of now. Maybe he's already been bothering you about something. You need to do this. You need to do that. Oh, I can't. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. Listen, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Because I look back to what I was when I was a young guy, and I wasn't much. I'm sure there were people. I know at least one person with the mission board I was with, and at least one Bible professor thought he'll never make it. I even had a church member say, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> Several people didn't think I would ever serve the Lord. But listen, if God calls you, he'll use you. And he never gives you more than you can handle. He never overwhelms you. There's always enough strength to get through that day. God is good. He leads us always in a path that's best for us. Some of you need to stop looking back to the old life and desiring to go back there. Listen, to serve God is a heavenly, eternal reward. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I challenge you to trust Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that your word always speaks, even if I'm not effective in presenting it. It speaks because your Holy Spirit is talking to each and every person here that's saved. And, and the lost, he's telling them they need to be saved. And your children today are hearing from you, and I don't know what you're talking to them about because I don't know their hearts. I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I wish well, all of them, everyone here, would just say, okay, Lord, I'll give in. I'll do it. I'll change. Well, what that would do for your kingdom, for your glory, for this church, for these families. So help us, Lord, to be obedient in everything we do. In Jesus' name.